And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tuesday American edition of The Athletic Hockey Show. I am your host who never misses a Tuesday. Why would you? Ever. Ever. Craig Custance. Never. Joined, as always, by the occasional, my occasional <laughs> co-host, Sean Gentili. <laughs> Better known for his work on the Friday show. It's the Friday show. Hey, so, buddy. You made it You made it back from uh, how are you? taking the family truckster down to, down to Georgia in one piece. Everybody's okay? We did. The whole, we went, everybody's okay. We did, banged it out, 12-hour drive back and forth. Hit the Buckies in wow. Tennessee, as one wow. does. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we did it all up perfectly. This is this show will forever be known. This episode is the Bobby Holik episode. I think it's going to be referenced a lot in the future because Bobby Holik is our guest. We teased that we were going to have him. We don't always do that with guests. Um, a, a few shows ago, and just said, "Look, you know, you may not be a New Jersey Devils fan. You know, where Bobby Holik, of course, won a couple Stanley Cups, or I'm sure you're probably a Thrashers fan." During his, he was a Thrasher's captain. Um, you know, Rangers fans probably mm-hmm. may or may not love Bobby. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think they're all that interested in this one. This this feels like this feels like a devil specific. But they should. Here's my point. 
you don't need to be a mm-hmm. fan of any of those teams or Bobby Holik to, I, I, I am asking as a personal favorite, just listen to this whole episode. Or I mean, not even the whole, you can skip this part, but Bobby is such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And the reason we had him on here is we just, I hadn't talked to him in a long time, but always, a, you know, my favorite interview for years, it even mentioned poor Marion Hosa had to listen to how much I enjoyed talking to Bobby Holik as part of his. Which is what, which is what got us on the train of being like, yeah, we'll just see, we'll just see what Bobby's doing. That's right. Cause it was just, it, it jogged the memory. We'll see what of Bobby's much. doing. I, I remember back in the day when we worked together a million years ago, it was like, in case of emergency, break glass on Bobby Holik. It was like when you, when it's true, when you had 100%. nothing, you were like, you could tell. Yeah. I'll just call Bobby Holik. When I was a kid thrashers reporter and there would be like three off days and the team <laughs> had a 10 game losing streak, I would just go over to Bobby and he would just feel like, and he was at the point in his career, he had no issues, you know, if he wanted to call out a player or or a reporter for asking dumb questions like he would challenge you had to come prepared you had to come with good questions um no. and i didn't have any you know so why it led to some good conversations why <laughs> that's right uh and and bobby bobby delivers it, it's he this is i think the first time we've done this sean yeah. he's going to be in our first segment our second segment and our third segment that's like we were doing ad interruptions because we're like, this is good. We just got to yeah, just let let Bobby cook. Well, I think that's I think we may have hit on something. Here's a question. Do we think that's going to ever repeat itself or is or is it just a testament to what we think of Bobby Holy? That we go three <laughs> segments of the guest? that'll ever happen again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you need a couple of things. A, somebody who's retired and working on their <laughs> Over, Not a lot of those guys. Okay. So that, that's got to be it. And B, somebody with something interesting to say. Like, there's times where it's like, you just want to get in and out of the, the interview because sometimes people it's, aren't that interesting. No, like I said, we're, I'm not. we're both really dull and really stupid. But, but Bobby Hulick is not. And the problem is, like you said, not a, lot of, not a lot of hockey players out there who are interesting and or funny and willing to communicate that publicly. It's tough. Yes. We got one here, though. It's tough. Oh, so good. So enjoy that. We So if you're like, hey, I just want to talk about hockey, man. I just want to talk about what's going on right now in the league. Sean and I are doing the... <laughs> you shouldn't, which you shouldn't be listening to the show in the first place. <laughs> yeah. <let me> just, <laughs> just listen to CJ and Julian are right um, down the street. You can just find, like, find their stuff. <laughs> yeah. Go, go, you probably should listen to a different podcast. Or... Uh, Sean and I are doing the mm-hmm. bonus episode on Apple Podcasts Plus, and we will be talking about uh, some of the goings on around the league, I'm sure, as part of that. Um, but a 30-second teaser, because I think some Devils fans will probably be listening to this. Sean, the Devils may be the best team in hockey right now. Probably this is the best Devils team since Bobby Holik was running around. We're, what are your thoughts on the Devils? Give me a 30 second taste on what we're going to talk about at Apple Pod. Is this team like, are, are, are I mean, you in? You I, I've team? seen enough. It's a combination of Vitek Vanacek being competent and the rest of the, the team around him being a wagon, right? Like if you look at, if you look at the, mm-hmm. the expected goal percentage standings for defensemen who, you know, play basically every night, 
this is just like a little snapshot, I, I think, of, of what the Devils have done so far this season. Four of the top five are, are New Jersey Devils. So you have Jonas Siegenthaler at 67% expected, wow. then Dougie Hamilton, then Brendan Smith, then then Phil Myers on, on Tampa Bay, and then and then Severson. So does that mean that it it well, I'm not even talking about those guys as indi- individual players. I think that is a snap but it is a snapshot when you have like t- the four guys outside of maybe John Marino at the top of their lineup who are just killing it in, in expected goals. And the goalie Vanacek is decent enough to to make it stand up. That was the yeah. big question last year. They got destroyed. If they would have had above 900 goaltending, they would have been an even goal differential team last year. And we're seeing what they look like now after a taking a step forward with guys like Nico Heischer and and and, and whatever else, and b getting an NH, getting NHL caliber goaltending. And if that stands up, they're they're going to be fine because they knocked off knocked off the Rangers last night. Came back from. Came back from you know a multi goal deficit, knocked off Shesterkin, on and on, and then it's been happening for you know really outside of the first few games of the season, it's been it's been constant. They're really really good, and they're and they're for real. Seattle's kind of the Western version of that, right? Yeah, terrible goaltending last year. Yeah, I mean, were they one of the three or four worst teams di- from a skater perspective last year? No, but Grubauer and Chris Drieger before he got hurt, they they destroyed him. Goaltending counts. It's just the way it goes. I think we lose sight of we we try to explain away. People can't understand goaltending. They can't understand year to year, you know, fluctuations and just the the randomness of that position. So I think our inclination is to just kind of discount it and act like that because a team has a shit goalie or is getting shit goaltending, that we should just pretend that you know that something else was going on there. And it wasn't. It counts. That's they were one of three, the three or four worst teams in the league last year because goaltending, unfortunately, counts. And they're not anymore. Like Martin Jones has been fine, you know, not, nothing special. But that's a good enough group of skaters with some added firepower at the top. Where, you know, this is the way it goes. They've been fine. I do. I think that now. Do I think that they're real on the level that the Devils are? No. But they're you know that's a major jump up. We're just going to say this all over again in the Apple Podcast Plus Mega Super. Guess what? So if you like that, you're going to hear it again. Seven good minutes. <laughs> you're supposed to save that last bit. All right. Without further ado, let's. What, what are we selling for? Let's get right to it. Uh, Bobby live, from, live from Wyoming. One of the best. L- live from Wyoming. Wyoming. We are now thrilled, as always, to be joined by Bobby Hulik, who I who I swear I've talked to fairly recently, but I have not because I went to look up like the last conversation we had, and it was in two thousand nine. Bobby, <laughs> thank you. Were still co- Come on, I believe you were covering the Thrashers, or were you? Have you moved on since? I had moved on to it was. I, I wrote about your retirement, which I like. This is how old I am. Like, I thought like you retired like three years ago. It's been a long, uh, so this is Bobby Holy, everybody. How long have you been retired? It's been 10 years, 12, 13 years. May 2022 was 13 years. I can't believe that. So I looked, I read a story that I wrote about your retirement and the last line you said in it was, it's time to be a husband and a father full time. And you really have done that. Like you just, you, you, you signed off and went and became a husband and a father full time. How is that going? 
Yeah, it, it was it was um, the decision I wanted. I was ready for that decision. I was happy to make that decision, and that's what I've been. And uh, and you know now years later, decade plus later, <clears throat> I'm like, why was that such a great transition for me? Yeah. Because my dad, my uncle, who were famous, legendary hockey players, and their peers who were world champion, world champions, not necessarily NHL players, except Václav Nemanský, who were very good friends with uh, my dad at, at the time, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And they were, I grew up with them, and these guys were as accomplished as anybody of, of that era. And they just, they, they were there for our practices, they were there, you know, at mm -hmm. dinner at night, and they were there just, I didn't, never thought of my dad or my uncles as great hockey players, except they were great mentors as men and hockey players. Yeah. So I had I had I had great role models, and you see, I think a lot of guys from Eastern Europe, not necessarily Eastern Europe, but Czech and Slovakia or Czech Czech Republic, do the same. They just you know when the game is over, when you can't do it the way you want, you move on, and and you are a man, you know, yeah. husband and father, and you're there for your family because the family is always there for you during <coughs> your career, and that's most direct way to pay that sort of you know so that's strong jobs or full-time uh <laughs> maintenance, but it was always a priority was it Can we talk about part-time jobs I, That's yeah hold there. a second was it was it was it, was it the part-time job that they got the house in jackson hole because I, I saw that was i saw that hit the market last year that didn't seem like that was something that was a part-time job <laughs> well, we we uh, what, what was the what was the question again? <laughs> Bobby, Bobby, I I just saw you I saw you listed your house for twenty two million dollars in 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 Wyoming. That was the first thing that popped up when I went when I when, when I googled you, you know, just to see just to see what 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 you'd been up to. So what was life what was life like in Wyoming? I, I know you guys are back down south, you know, more well, more regularly. Well, you know? we are because our daughter's getting married in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is far from here. And mm -hmm. we're still here in Wyoming, mm -hmm. and it's uh, you know Wyoming. We've been here for almost twenty on and off during my career. I we spent off season here, so almost thirty years. So it's it's home to us, and we're just making adjustments. And uh, yeah, I, I thought that a lot of people would get to see that because it was kind of a big news at the time. But uh, you know, it's it's life. You just you just yeah. live, and then when you know family has different needs, we move on. But mm -hmm. right, as of right now, we are in Wyoming, still enjoying the winter and we're trying to stay close to our daughter because you know the wedding's coming up and just just be involved with the family because it's not as she's a kid she's a grown-up but also you know it's a big event in all of our lives that's great so you're bringing so the whole fam's coming in well uh, my my wife my first family coming in my mom's coming in uh my our daughter and her Beyonce, they're trying to keep the wedding small, so it's it's. Uh, but still, you, the West is so so vast that you mm -hmm. gotta keep everybody together. So it's like uh, you know we're, we're trying to stay here close to everything, so it's it kind of goes smoothly and everybody can enjoy themselves. So what what kind of part time jobs you you working at the local Ace Hardware behind the <laughs> no behind the no counter? I actually uh, first of all I was a also a full time ranch hand you know of course yeah as you do. Yeah. <laughs> we travel all over the country, so that was that was my full time job. No, or, or actually volunteering. Your ranch uh, ranch hand. And I I yeah. coached or mentor and taught 
hockey with, with the, when I was high school juniors all over the country. And I also did a full-time coaching high school here for about three years. Hmm. And also 4-H, I don't know if you guys are familiar. It's mm -hmm. I ran a shotgun club. We're shooting plays, mm -hmm. trap skeet, you know, teaching kids from middle school to high school, um, teaching them how to properly uh, So it's just, and also I worked for a firearms company from Czech, Czech, Czech Republic as a spokesperson for about 12 years. Mm -hmm. And that was a lot of fun traveling to different fundraisers and tournaments. And um, so it, it ended up on a for a full life. But I would mm -hmm. never compromise my time with my family. So I had, because a lot of it was volunteering, so I had the flexibility. But you might not know that, but volunteering, you know, gets to you eventually because I believe people appreciate people. When parents or, or clubs hire people and pay them out of money, they appreciate them a lot more than they appreciate volunteers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, as of right now, I tremendously enjoy teaching, mentoring, but I'm taking some time off from it because it, it you know, you know my commitment. When I commit to something, I, I went full in. And after 10 plus years, you kind of like, mm, you know, it's time to take a break. Well, do the 4-H kids have any idea that, like, they're being taught to shoot clay pigeons or whatever by a former NHL player? Like, is there any connection being made there? Um, some of them did if the parents were somewhat in hockey or, yeah. you know, some people are, you know, some people are even less than them didn't they just uh, i just hope they thought i was a good teacher and surprisingly enough what i was teaching you know clay pigeons sporting clays skeet trap or hockey or just mentoring young men yeah um i've tremendous i've enjoyed teaching tremendously far more than i ever thought i would hmm. what like why do you think that it, like what do you what do you appreciate about it being the, the mentor side of i things? think that's the only way to to be uh, involved in those things, especially hockey. When I mm -hmm. when I coach or I, I I wasn't just coaching, but I would be mentoring or teaching. I I feel like I it wasn't always a team. It would be a couple friends, kids, you know, a couple teenage boys. Or so to me, it was the closest thing to playing at that level. I did mm -hmm. for some reason. It was there was nothing else. I don't play shitty hockey. I don't play. Uh, I don't go just skate for fun. Mm -hmm. For me, fun. As the time went on, I really evolved. I was, I was teaching and coaching a lot, a lot of hockey, and um, it was so much fun. But eventually, as I said, it felt like I was far more committed than everybody else, and <laughs> I, I lacked, I lacked the reciprocity. I didn't expect people to be become NHL players or all stars. I, I didn't expect that, but I expected them to give their best effort mm -hmm. because I did. And eventually the, you know, I call it reciprocity. You give, you get back. And it was just give, give, give. And I wasn't getting that situation. Hmm. Do a lot of mentoring and teaching right now, uh, individual kids and their dads as far as the shotgun shooting, but uh, hockey's on the back burner right now until another opportunity comes and, and presents itself. Hmm. Do you think that you could, get that reciprocity from like, uh, like lower, like lower level teams. Like is, is, do you, would you need to coach better players to kind of get that, to kind of get your juices flowing in, in the way, in the way that it needed no, to, or, or I, is it, or is it something you could get from coaching like community, like just like on, on a community? Right no, yeah, I, I was getting it 
well from a high school team here yeah. or from or from the middle school players that the dads ask me to help them out and all that. It has nothing to do with the quality of right. you want to beat me. But I'm sure Jeff heard before. But it's a, it's called the give a shit factor, mm-hmm. and that we don't wasn't we don't there. we don't have to bleep you by the way. You can say okay, you very good, thank you. <laughs> But that's the best way to, to the hockey people. Yeah. That's the best way to explain because mm-hmm. you hear it a lot. He just doesn't have give it, you know, mm-hmm. factor. Yeah, and 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 I don't expect kids to go to some prep schools or whatever. I just expect if they show up, I want. I recently had a conversation with an eleven-year-old, and he's like with his mom, and they were like, "What's the best way to appreciate coaches? You know, coming in early and working." I said, "Best way to appreciate." It's not to think or give him fist bump at the end of practice. It's give everything you got that practice. Pay mm-hmm. attention. Stay focused through the 45, 55-minute practice or hour and 15-minute practice. That's the best way to appreciate a coach if that's what you're looking for. Same thing. I appreciate the players if they give their best effort, if they stay right. focused and, and pay attention. And whether they execute the drills the way they sh- should or they're supposed to or not, that's a different story. Are they trying their best? That's the point. And that's that was kind of missing there at one t- uh, for a while, mm-hmm. so I had to step back and and allow myself to just kind of relax, sort of. Yeah. All right. So, I, w- I want to get into your. You mentioned learning a lot from your dads and uncle, and I want to get into into that a lot. Also, as a coach, I liked gift cards. I didn't really care if the kid. I, I like to get <laughs> gift cards at the end of the season, but that's that was my own. Um, but we need to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. When you're trying to grow a business, the caliber of person you bring in to help you do that is really important. And LinkedIn makes it really easy to interview the right people for the role, quality people. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional. On LinkedIn, 2.5% million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NHL show. That's linkedin.com slash NHL show to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now let's get back to our interview with Bobby Holik. That emphasis on, you know, self-motivation and and all that that you were just talking about, is that a nature or nurture thing? Like, is that something that was just baked, baked into you from birth or is that, did that come up? You know, is that, is that something you figured out during your career? Does that have to do with coming over from, from, from Czech? Like how, when did that become a priority for you? So I, I will respond to it as a, as a teacher, like 
one thing I did would have maybe why I love teaching or mentoring is because I learn so much every time I work with the team or with individual players. And so a lot of times you have things are happening or you're doing things as a player, but you're in your you know late, late teens or twenties, thirties, late thirties, very few guys in the forties, and you're so busy playing and you when you time off, you just go home, you have your family, you don't think about these things. Then you retire mm-hmm. and you are working on a farm and you have all this time to analyze and think about what you've gone through life. And I think it's both. It's it's uh, nurture and nature. Some of of course some players or some people are more motivated by nature. They're just more driven. Mm-hmm. But you as a coach or a teacher have to find a way to channel that because a lot of times the ones who are more driven, more motivated are also a little, uh, not as focused because they're just they're just driven. They're aggressive. Then you have players or people who or kids who are less driven, less aggressive, and you have to, you know, find a way to spark their enthusiasm and inspiration. So yeah. I, I, I always thought that uh, working with with youth it helped me realize or learn how you have to work with everyone individually. Yeah, there's there has to be a team plan. If you're coaching a team, there has to be a team plan that everybody adheres to. But at the same time, everybody might adhere to it in a different way because there are different personalities, different characters. So nurture nature, you can't say one or the other. In any instance, you just have to, as a coach or teacher, your responsibility is to find out, is this guy got more motivated on his own and you just need to do do more teaching, more system, more more uh, things that he doesn't, don't come to him naturally because he might not have the game intellect or sport intellect. And the other ones who are not as physically strong and not as aggressive, they might have the intellect, but they need help to build their physical abilities or their, their, their drive. So Mm -hmm. I find coaching a team sport is also a very, very good practice to work your teaching your individual players and then put Mm -hmm. it, put it together. And also, you know, I had a great experience coaching the Israeli teams, national teams, for a couple of seasons there. And that was whole another uh, experience in my life. So it's, um, again, you're dealing, you're dealing with people from different parts of the world or from different background. And so maybe it's great to answer your question why I love teaching or coaching so much, because I learn so much every time I get on the ice or every time I work with, with players or, or young people. Hmm. So the, the the Israeli the Israeli team I, I saw that did Stan I read that Stan Fischler kind of helped you link link you yeah, up with okay. the uh, with know, the Israeli team how did how did that happen? Well, again, if you have time, so uh, yeah. wow, we do have a chair. Yes, <laughs> and Stan Fischler is a legendary broadcaster and, and writer and author and reporter, and I spent a lot of time with him when I played in New Jersey and New York because he was always in a tri-state area. And uh, it, it, we go back way to Sport Channel. Uh, I believe that mm-hmm. was the network that carried the games. So I think Jeff mm-hmm. is the only one who will remember that. But uh, <laughs> so we, Some shade for historian. producer Jeff. I love history. We always talk not only about hockey, but about a lot of other things. And when I retired a few years later, I got an email from Stan that, who, who moved to Israel to be with his son and his grand, grandchildren. And he's like, hey, we have a hockey camp here. We have a hockey ring. Would you like to come out? And teach in hockey school. So I went there two years, two summers in a row. I spent a couple of weeks uh, running the hockey school there and, and teaching and coaching. And I enjoyed it so much. 
and I enjoy Israel so much, and I enjoy people in Israel so much. They, after two years of having me there for the summer, they asked me to come back and coach there. There was a kind of a reorganization in the Hockey Federation. They like, hey, would you like to coach the national teams? I said, it's a tremendous honor. And so I did the U18s, U20s, and the men's team. And and that was a whole another experience because of many reasons, many reasons, traveling with them around the world and to tournaments and all that stuff. But um, as I said, it was, again, volunteering. and But this was... There was a tremendous amount of reciprocity because these people have tremendous national pride and they represent their country. And so it was probably one of my best experiences of my life. Hmm. We had what's, a, what's a story from, from that time that stands out? Like if you're, when you look back and you're like, I, that was unbelievable that that happened or some, some takeaway that you had from that experience. Uh, I have tremendously positive experiences and also tremendously negative experiences. Uh, hmm. I actually Think, you know, think about coming on with you guys. Uh, I just came to me. There's a lot of talk about anti-Semitism around the world or in this country or it's on the rise. But I had yeah. to, we were with the U20 team in Croatia at a, at a tournament, which was a world championship group. Whatever, I don't remember the group, but each each group has a, their own tournament. And we played the Dutch. And I'm not going to be shy and I'm going to call them out on it because that was... And after the game, we lost, tight game, but we lost. And you have to understand, we had a U20 team, but our players were 16, 17, 18. We didn't have 19 and 20-year-olds because they are serving in the mandatory military service in the mm-hmm. Israeli Defense Force. So we had a young, very fragile team. <clears throat> and after the team game against Dutch, as everybody else does, shake hands, at the, and, and the Dutch players started calling them extremely insensitive mm-hmm. Anti-Semitic slurs to these 16 to 18 year old boys from Israel mm-hmm. who are giving their hearts out on the ice. The talent is not there, but they they show giving their hearts out. So we, we go to the locker room and and I see them coming off the ice and just crying. Few of them mm-hmm. in a really bad way. And so I uh, my assistant assistant coaches. He's from I believe Mississauga or somewhere there, and mm-hmm. he's Canadian, but he lives in Israel. Married Israeli girls so he speaks hebrew and i found out that they call them old polish very very bad anti-semitic slurs in the line of you know handshake line so i didn't hesitate i marched down the the, uh, the corridor to the dutch team's locker room and confronted the players uh, the coaches and i said i want the players to come out and oh and come to apologize and you know, there was a it was a little bit of conflict, but I didn't hesitate because they did not only hurt my players who were so innocent at that age, but they mm-hmm. they pissed me. They didn't hurt me. They pissed me off in a really mm-hmm. bad way. So I had to. I, there was no hesitation because you, as a player, especially when you coaching team that that is wherever they go, they have a, have have to have a se- extra security and and there's this to some degree a danger to them all over the world, wherever we are playing hockey, you do what you can as a, you know, I have the experience. I believe I have the, the, the courage to, to stand up for them. So that was, it was not an international conflict. I didn't keep, I didn't make it that way, but what ended up being, what ended up happening that the players who did committed those um, mm-hmm. inappropriate, they, they had the inappropriate behavior on the Dutch side. They came to our players and apologized secretly 
which I respect because these are boys. They were still young men. They didn't know how to handle it properly. But it, the apology came. It just didn't come in the public because they were somebody confronted them that they did wrong, and they were extremely embarrassed. But that's one of the that's. Would you say is that a the most negative? No, I I found it that I could make a difference in the in the world in my own way at the time hmm. because I was not going to let that go. And then, then there's a lot of other you know uh, experiences when we won the our group uh, tournament in Mexico City with the adult uh, with the men's team. Uh, we were big underdogs, but those guys were so disciplined. They played to a t- you know the system to a T and. My coaches, one of them was from Israel, one of them from Canada, my assistant coaches. It was a great, great team effort. And again, I learned so much working with them. And um, then we got a silver with the U18. So it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And um, I did learn a lot as a coach handling players. And they were surprised because I had a certain reputation as a player. But I believe I was nothing like it as a coach or Mm -hmm. I'm not like nothing like I'm, I'm not anything like that as a coach or a teacher. I just learned mm. from what I've accomplished as a player and I've learned from others who are better and smarter than I was and I'm trying to apply it when I when I do have the opportunities. What You said you learned a lot in that process, you know, in Mexico City or wherever it was. Like, What, what, what do you think the biggest thing you learned was? about anyway, really. um, I don't know what the biggest thing is, but it, it was, I was just, I learned... I, if I have ever had an opportunity again, I would, you know, I, I even learned from my assistant coaches who's, who's formerly from, he lives in Canada, but he's formerly with the men's team and things that sometimes you cannot demand as a coach, your responsibility is to teach what you want from them. And you got to make sure that they understand that they are, they are fully, and then you can start criticizing if they don't execute. But at one time I was, there was a player on my men's team who I already had uh, on a tournament in um, on the, with the U20. So I had him second time in the same season, and I expect him to do certain things. We were playing trap to some extent or neutral zone uh, lock, uh, and and he wasn't getting it. And uh, and my mm-hmm. assistant coach from who's from Israel, he was like, "Hey, did you ever think that he might not, he might just not know?" And I stopped myself. I'm like. He probably doesn't know, and I'm demanding mm-hmm. something from him that he doesn't know. So I grabbed right. him, told him, worked on it with him, and then I was, I was, I was like, now I can expect him to do it right or get mm-hmm. on his ass. But mm-hmm. that, that that was a huge. So now, what it's, what it's our when I analyze our social issues, when it's the politics, when it's the education, when it's sports, that is such a crucial part. Do they know, or do they? don't know and need to be taught first. Mm-hmm. People need to know first before you start getting on them so they're not doing it right. <laughs> I, I hope I'm articulating right. properly. No, I understand. Absolutely. And you know what? It, the funniest thing, this all comes from 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 the Bible from three, four thousand years ago. So it's, uh, it's again, you know, I don't want to get it too deep in that way, but it's, it's been a wonderful, wonderful time since retirement. Amongst my other things, you, I learned so much more. And I thought I knew, as you know, Greg, I thought I knew a lot back then. <laughs> you did. <laughs> you did. I, you mentioned like when you're out on the ranch in post 
in in retirement that you had time to think really for the first time about your playing career what like in analyze things and probably overthink about things was where did your mind go when you were thinking about your career um you know, one thing i i was very i'm extremely happy and it was the, probably the goal from day one since i was a little kid and my dad always demanded from me to give my best i i, yeah. I, I truly can look back in my career and say, you know what, there's not a day or practice when I just didn't give my best. Not that I was always at the top of my game, but what it means is the day, whatever you had, whatever that 100% was, maybe you were sick with flu, maybe you had a bad groin, you had a wonky knee or, you know, banged up shoulder, you still gave that 100% you had that day. And that's that's the message I, I tell, I try to relate to most of young men nowadays or young athletes or or students that I work with, it's not, you're not always going to be in an all-star form, but whatever mm -hmm. the form is, you give your best. Basically be the best version of yourself, whether it's playing hockey, whether it's a student, whether it's a young husband or a father, that's, that's kind of my message. And when you do that consistently, good things will happen. And and uh, I I honestly can look back and say, yeah, I was not always good, but I was my best. I told my mm -hmm. daughter, I was not the best there was or best ever, but I was I was probably my best more often than most. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if there was some stat that just said you were giving a hundred percent, yeah, percentage like, of, of your of, of the Bobby Holik output, you, yeah, I would I would like to see that. Yeah, so that, that that is one thing that I kind of thought thought back, and I, I keep I, I try to carry it on from a teacher or a mentor or a coach mm -hmm. or just fixing fences. Same thing. I don't want to walk away from something that it, it was not my best, right. and um, it's a fun way to live. You know, for young players in hockey or sports, they like, wow, that that seems hard. I'm like, don't look at doing it for the next six years. Look at it of doing it today and repeating it at tomorrow. And when you do that for a few days, then the week's going to go by and you gave your best. Then you put a few weeks together, it's months. And before you know it, it's a learned, we talk about learned behavior. Doing mm -hmm. your best is a learned behavior. Nobody has that. Even the most talented, talented athletes don't have that. They have to learn that. That's when you get Crosby's and Gretzky's or Ovechkin's because they're talented. They have the hand-eye coordinations. They have the game sense. But they also learn giving their best every not only in the games, but in practice and preseason and in off-season workouts when they're on their own. I'm working on a story about Eric Lindros, and I saw in the last year or two, someone asked him who's the hardest player he'd ever played against, and he he said it, he said it was you. Um, hmm. I, so I what was I know this is this is a little out of left field, but like I said, I'm, I'm I am working on on a Lindros story. You had, you had a lot of battles with teams he was on, whether it was the, the Flyers, then you guys were teammates and with with the Rangers. I, what does it mean to have that rep, I guess, A, as being one of the toughest players a guy of his caliber ever, ever played against, and then B, just what, what are your memories of you know playing against so playing all, against him? I think Kevin Weeks, a friend of mine, Kevin Weeks, mm -hmm. sent it to me, like a, a screenshot of the Twitter. I think yep. it was on Twitter or something. It was on I, Twitter. He, he put my name down. I took it as a tremendous, tremendous honor. That meant to me that one of the best players of the nine, you know, of the of the era, if not the best player, mm -hmm. kind of knew I was playing, and that's all that mattered. I wasn't want to. I didn't want to be there just to be there. 
I always wanted to give my best. So sometimes again, you know, if it meant to be the hardest play, hardest player to play against, that's something to be proud of. So to me, thank you for bringing it up. It's one mm -hmm. of probably one of the proudest moments of my career. Not necessarily the trophies and stuff, but when somebody of that caliber says that, means a lot. Hmm. So and, to flip it. I'm sorry oh, about ahead, you asked about Eric. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What yeah, was it like? Yeah, do the second part. Part what B. Was it, what was it like playing playing against Lindros? Because I'm always I'm always fascinated by by it, stories like it, that. It was phenomenal because the I always say the best best in the world bring out the best out of you or me or that's that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to play against the average. I want to play against the best because that's the only measure is it measuring stick that matters. And uh, we had some great epic battles in when he played mm -hmm. in Philly and. Um, you know, we played two conference finals against that Flyers team that he was on, and all and dozens of regular season games or even preseason games. I mean, going down, I, I go back to Philadelphia Spectrum. You know, before they closed down, there was there was something else, and the same thing with the uh, the I don't know what it's called now, the big big newer arena. Yeah, but again, it wasn't just Eric; it was like Claire and and Desjardins and everybody else around the, on those teams and it was it was just awesome and unfortunately or unfortunately the way i was we had dinner last night with friends from philadelphia who live here full-time flyer fans and i cannot tell you how many flyer fans in this town in jackson wyoming uh, maybe it's relatively speaking but i have half a dozen friends who are flyer fans <laughs> and we always go at it when we see each other whether it's in the coffee shop or go out to dinner or we just kind of run across each other in the parking lot. It's always, you know, flyers and devils and this <laughs> and that. And uh, there was actually a gentleman who I've known for 25 years here. And he, at month, one evening, we were going to the restaurant. He was coming out and he finally admitted after having maybe one or two drinks too more, too much, that he was one of the guys on the glass calling me names down in so but it's all fun it's all fun i love those days and i love playing against eric i played with him in uh new york mm -hmm. and we became great friends great teammates and i really i think i didn't just like playing against him it was a great challenge but also playing with him getting to know him the type of person he was and that was uh that was a nice experience as well that's great. Are you done double dipping, Sean, on your on your assignment? Yeah, can this I, can is, I ask no. A this question? is great. I, I can just I can <laughs> I can scratch that one off. That's a call I don't have to make today. Thank you, Bobby. <laughs> That's great. So to flip it, so if who is the the toughest player you ever played against? Like who was a who would be your answer to what Eric was saying about you? I never looked. It, people ask me that all the time. I never oh, looked gosh. at it that way because harder to, harder it was, better it was. Yeah. There was. I'm sorry. You got, yeah, I'm agreeing. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So for me, uh, harder, harder the game was, harder the players to play against, where uh, more I enjoyed. And yeah. uh, so there are some of them, they stand out. And I'm not going to name them because it's just too easy uh, as a dirty player. Not that I was a fair and clean guy, but somebody was really, but his reputation in the general public is quite different than what he had uh on the ice and you know what maybe and again, again to go on this podcast and say the name maybe you guys can text me i can text you but i just don't want to name it public because it's it's just too easy you know 
because um, <laughs> oh man, everyone's every, everyone's gonna have guesses here. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get a million but, guesses but from people, it, it and they're gonna be like, "What did Bobby tell you?" Public, general public, or 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 the executives and general managers around the league, and then then the person, you know, the type of person that he, or player he actually was is two different things, and uh, it it happens. It happens. You know, I feel like I was. Uh, far better off the ice than I was on the ice, you know. So <laughs> we are have all alter egos when we play the game. So that's that's how it is. Did you find as you started coaching post career that you could tell your influences of your coaches that coached you? Like, were you like, oh, that's something Lou would have said, or whatever it would have been? Like, you, you did you feel those influences when you started coaching? Oh, absolutely. People don't realize. <laughs> That's one thing. People, I talk to people all the time. There's so many bad coaches in the national hockey. Oh, maybe in my days. <laughs> you know, I, I had, I was very, extremely fortunate that I had really good ones. Like Jacques Lemaire is a standout mm-hmm. all by himself. He changed the game for me. Larry yeah. Robinson yeah. changed the game yeah. for me. And they were also great people, great teachers, great coaches. So, but then there's a lot of coaches that, People think just because you go in NHL, you must be good. Uh, that's not necessarily true. I learned uh, so much from bad coaches or bad mm. coaching that what not to do or, or you know, I, I remember sitting in the locker room or on the bench. I'm like, this is just so ridiculous. I'll never do that as a, if I'm ever coaching. That's how bad it was, you know, or the way you, they were treating players. Oh, I could, that's, that was probably the worst thing. A couple coaches, they always, Something about these coaches who are not that good would love to just punish fourth line players. We lost the game, yeah. fourth liners. You sitting, mm-hmm. somebody else is playing, or we're gonna call something out. And I, I actually, I think towards the end of my career, I'm not gonna say details, but I challenged somebody like you. You telling me you're blaming the fourth line or the third line for that we could, we didn't score, we we averaging goal a game for mm-hmm. the last you know two or three games. That's that's. The reason why they did it because there was no there was gonna be no challenge from fourth liners. Right. They were just yeah, happy to be say? on a team or even yeah. third line players. Yeah. Nobody but I learned that if you're gonna get the team play better, you challenge the first line of the star players, the starting goalie to be better. Mm-hmm. You know, because it was so under it hurt. It hurt to see these fourth line players who were just hanging on with everything they had to be able to play in the National Hockey League, and then the coach just decides I'm too much of a pussy, so I'm going to blame them for loss of a team instead of blaming the star players who are underperforming. So that, to me, was like probably the biggest lesson that I ever learned. And I always try to, even though I was fourth liner for many years, and mm-hmm. you know, I always try to go out of my way so those players or the seventh defenseman or eighth defenseman they felt comfortable, they felt like a part of the team, even as when I was a player. You know, I, I looked at them as equally. Or they needed more attention than the players on the first line because first liners or star players, they always got attention. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's media, what is the trainers, what is the coaches? But it's a team, so you got to make everybody feel part of it. But especially your experience, you were like you said, you were a guy who came into the league like an, on a, on a bottom six and then progressed in, into a point where you were, you know, an all star and a top line guy. So is that something you just sort of carried over from early in your career where you knew what it was like? You know, to, to kind of be on on the on the other end of those discussions. So I, I did start in the league, and you know, what 
I played on fourth line. And uh, to me, I was not a fourth liner. I knew I right. was better than that. But I was patient. And the, the way to prove them wrong is to be just excel at that position. If I'm a fourth line center, I'm going to be the best fourth line center in the league, which mm-hmm. eventually happened with the crash line in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Then I started moving up and bec- start playing different different role and contributing differently. So I never looked at myself. But there's hundreds of players who are, you know, bubble players or borderline mm-hmm. or whatever. And you don't, coach doesn't need to get on their ass and ride them when the team's not doing well. That just a couple of coaches will stand down and I'm like, I, that's yeah, un- name them, Bobby, unacceptable. Come on. Huh? Name that? those coaches. Let's go. No, Are you going to no, text no, them no. to it's us after easy. the, uh... it's too easy because then, then <laughs> I think they, I could, they, can they, I name them? If, <laughs> if, if I confronted them at the time, they know who yeah. they are. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to do it on, on, on TV, you know, like that's not my style. So, um, all right, fine. So that 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 was the probably biggest lesson that I learned that everybody's you have to, again back. You have to treat players individually. If it's a first line yeah. or a superstar center, you almost have to ignore him because he gets plenty of attention as it is. You save that energy you have and put it towards the players that you're going to need down the road as adept players. So that's that's one of the big big lessons. I heard um, you mentioned Jacques Lemaire. His ability to teach everybody very specific to to what they brought to the team was something that made him so unique. Like, what did you learn about teaching from from Jacques specifically? What he taught us, uh, basically, to to kind of make it simplified, is he simplified the game. So when we you yeah. go out there, you have these finite amount of energy for a game or for the season. But when you when you become more efficient, suddenly you feel like you have twice or three times that much energy because you're doing. Everything you do, forecheck, backcheck, playing in your own end, you know, circ- uh, cycling in the corners. You're doing everything more efficiently. You're putting your stick in the right spot. And it, that saves the finite energy you have as a, because we are human beings. You know, we are players. Mm-hmm. You can't just pour more gasoline in the tank and keep going. You have so yeah, much. Right. And he, right. he made, he gave us tools. He didn't necessarily like, this is how you do it. And that's it. He gave us tools for us to get better ourselves. And a lot of people felt, uh, he's too restrictive, but you know what? They benefit from from it themselves, even though they felt he's restrictive and he wants to be, he wants you to play defense. But we all benefited benefited from it, and uh, so efficiency is the is the is the probably key there. That he we became so efficient, we didn't run around, we didn't waste our energy. But when we did, when they did turn, we made them turn the puck over. We had the puck. We had all this energy to go and and go offense and have fun with it, you know. So that was big. Larry Robinson was just a – he was probably better than anyone that I've ever come across as a coach or teacher who understand that we are people and we all need – you know, some of us need a little more kick in the butt and some of us mm-hmm. need more more pat on the back. And he was – he had the perfect balance. And uh, on top of being one of the smartest, smartest hockey guys that ever played or ever coached. Yeah. I, th- I did want to ask about, about Larry Robinson because you hear, you know, sometimes it's tough for great players to be great coaches and vice versa, but that obviously wasn't a problem for him. He's a top 20 player, whatever, of, of, of all time and also a great coach. But is that was it the interpersonal stuff that made him a great coach or was it, you know, the wealth of, you know, experience he had and ability that he had like in his playing days? Like what, what made him so great to work with? I think Larry, when you isolate his – Game of the uh, knowledge of the game and his teaching skills and his coaching skills, he would be at the top no matter what. Mm-hmm. But then he's almost 
all by himself because all the players that he's coached elevate him not only as a great coach but a great guy. Genuinely one of the best, if not the best person there there ever was in hockey. And as I said, the combination of his teaching skills, coaching skills, his his uh, ability to sense what the player needs at a, at a certain time, and his personality, which was wonderful, made him very unique. And that's Larry Robbins is a standout by himself. He's, he's just, he's just, there's no one like him. So again, and, and it's a combination. He's a standout as a person. He's a standout as a coach, but you bring that together and there's generations of players who look up to him and learn so much from him that, uh, especially from like the New Jersey days, you know, the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. All right. We're going to send one more break and then we've got like, we're probably pushing you, Bobby, more than you wanted to talk to us this afternoon, but this has been As long as you have interesting questions, I'll I'll, I'm engaged. Okay. We'll we'll start with those in the third segment. (laughs) We've been saving all the interesting ones, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so Bobby, uh, gosh, the one thing I do want to talk to you about, you're a voracious reader. I, the, I miss, you know, going into a locker room and talking about what books are reading and like that. I, the, it was always fun and you, you know, it was always interesting to, to learn from you and to kind of have debates oftentimes. And, and I know there's, there was a book, um, that was written called Freedom to Win and it was about, you know, the, uh, the Czechoslovakia playing against the Soviet Union and you had a hand you didn't write it you had nothing to, uh, but you had a hand in I'm sure guiding it what was that process like so the the writer Ethan Shiner he's from he's a what is he well, he teaches at University of California Davis up in uh, just outside of Sacramento I think he's a political science professor he sent me a letter written handwritten letter to my okay. address and I get I still get some fan mail not much but I get and my wife was going through it, and she read this letter. This is years ago, a few years ago, and it's like he would like to, during his uh, during uh, research on sports and politics, he came across my dad's and uncle's team in 1969. Um, the events that led up to it, which was the Prague Spring and the Soviet reoccupation in 1968, and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and then then the two games they played against the Soviets. I'm not gonna say Russians because at the time it was a Soviet Soviet Union. And it was 1969 World Championships, uh, Ice Hockey World Championship in Sweden. I'm not sure if it was Stockholm or Yadeborg uh, uh, or some one of those others. And the Czechoslovakian team beat Soviets twice in the same tournament. 
And which was unheard of at the time. Soviets were so dominating all over the world, Olympics, World Championships. Uh, my dad and uncle did not win the gold, but they beat the Soviets twice in a round, in the first round. I don't know what the, and it was just a national event of, of the six. I mean, you know, it yeah, was six yeah, months yeah. or less after the Soviet occupied us. And the only way we could answer, we couldn't fight them militarily. I wasn't born at the time. I, I know history, right. but we could fight them on the ice. You know, there was yeah. not much of a soccer that hockey was, it was everything at the time. And they beat them twice in the same tournament. And my dad, I, did, I don't know if it was the first game, second game. There's a red star on a Czech jersey, and uh, he taped a red, red t- black tape over it in protest. And he was the initiator, and a couple of his other uh, teammates did the same. And then when they beat the Soviets, he was on the red line, putting his ear to the to the ice. And the reporters like, you know, Mr. Holik, what, what are you doing there? He's like, oh, he's, he's listening to the Russians turning off the oil, you know, as a as a as a boycotting <laughs> our our energy source. Wow. And the funny thing is that now with the war in Ukraine and all that stuff, everybody worries in Europe, worries about the energy sources, where they're going to come from. But so this gentleman was found about these two games and how, how much it uplifted the nation after the occupation, Soviet occupation. So he was like, he wrote me because he knew I live in the States. He wrote me a letter and then we got together. He came here and I helped him. I helped him to try to put piece it together and also put him in touch with you know, he went to Czechoslovakia and he interviewed all the remaining who's, the players who are alive from that mm-hmm. team. They're still alive. He interviewed them. He interviewed my mom. And he just interviewed everybody. He's done tremendous amount of work. And this book is coming out next spring. And it's going to be basically about my dad's era all the way to Nagano, how mm-hmm. fighting the Soviets on ice led to hockey being such a powerful tool for Czechoslovakia to make, make a mark in the world and mm. and also being in oppressed living in an oppressed country I believe to my generation it was a huge driving factor huge motivator to pr- prove our prove ourselves to the world that we matter even though we mm. are a small country we were occupied we were communist but you can still rise up all above all that through hard work and sacrifice and commitment and become that the world or hockey world will will take you, uh, you know, you matter. And yeah. I, I believe if you talk to Jeremy Agar or Raiko or any of Dominic Hasek, it was it was a motivating factor for us to mm. to prove to the world that we matter. And it started in the sixties during with my my dads and my uncles and their team, their peers generation. Mm. I'm gonna I'm gonna. For anyone listening that wants to check that book out, I'll give the full title and then we can get back. It's called Freedom to Win, A Cold War Story of the Courageous Hockey Team That Fought the Soviets for the Soul of Its People and Olympic Gold. I believe it's coming out in March 2023. Yeah, okay. You can reorder it and all that. I'm not selling it. I'm just saying it's- No, I just think it's interesting. Yeah. You'll hear, yeah. What do you, what do you, um, what would you like people to know about your dad? You know what? That I think about him. He passed away seven years ago, almost almost eight years ago. I think about the things he taught me, the things he said, the thing he did, and how he did it every day of my life. Because mm-hmm. he was so ahead of his time. No, let's t- let me take that back. He wasn't ahead of his time. The the man he was. It's 
it, it was just such an inspiration, not only as a when I was a player, because as a player, I wanted to become my myself. Uh, I have to have my mm-hmm. own identity. And then and uh, when I retired, I had more time, and I spent some. He came and visited and all that, but then he passed away, not necessarily suddenly, but still at fairly young age. And uh, ever since, I think of he, he, so many things. He was, to some extent, you find out in that book, he was very rebellious. He was very outspoken. And um, the secret police at the time, the communist secret police had files on him, and there, there'll be pictures of the, mm. or copies of those files in that book. Mm. And bold letters on the cover of his file, they were actually found maybe a couple of years ago. The, they showed me the pictures of these files, and it's, it just said rebel. And in my dad's picture, mm. his name, his all his information. That's it. I'm in secretly. But what I what I think about the way he looked at, you know, living life with a purpose. Whether you are a player, whether you are a coach, whether you are a teacher, whether you are a husband, whether you are a father, whether you just work on your cottage, you know, somewhere and chopping wood. The the, the how fully he lived life and the, the purpose he he thrived for and and. Whenever, whenever he did something, how he did it to the best of his abilities. That's, you know, it's just, and there's a lot of other things that, that come to my mind because it, for some reason, if he said it 40, 50 years ago or uh, 45 years ago, 40 years ago, and I remember him saying that, and now I can apply it because I'm that age that he was then, you know, or he was maybe not as old as I am now, or it, it just, it's amazing that he, the insight he had on life, not only sport, but on life. And again, there's rarely a day that I don't think about his uh, his wisdom, let's put it that mm-hmm, way. Mm-hmm. I, I look at our society today, or what it's a sport of hockey, what it's a society. We are so well educated, but we lack wisdom. And my dad had so much wisdom. Unfortunately, because of his personality, not, not everybody always took him. Um, it, it was hard because he was he was rough around the edges and he was, if you think I was rough around the edges or I am, you know, I'm, I'm pretty smoothed out compared to my, my dad was just, a, just an animal, you know, and uh, unfortunately that sometimes takes away from his wisdom or from his accomplishments mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he was such an animal, but uh, that's life. Nobody's perfect. Where do you think that courage came from for him to, to be so rebellious when, like life could be at stake, right? Like that's, there's, you know what I mean? There's different courage in hockey and courage in life. Where did that courage come from? I think we can pinpoint it to night to February, 1948, actually, or February 25th, 1948, when, when the communist uh, takeover of the Czechoslovakian government. And shortly after his dad, who worked all his life up to that point to be a, to, to have a butcher shop. He wanted to put my grandfather's, dream was a butcher shop so he at the time he bought a butcher shop he ran a butcher shop he was very good at it and the communists came and nationalized the store basically took it from him you know no, there's no there's no trial there's no appeal they just showed up they took the store threw him out he went he was working i believe in a brick factory somewhere because he had to support his family he, he the chance of him to end up in some gulags was just as good but because it's not a small business Owners, entrepreneurs were, were the enemy of the state at the time, or any, against any totalitarian regime. So my grandfather ended up working in a brick factory, some some manual labor type mm-hmm. of deal, 
and my dad was six years old at the time. So you're old enough to remember that. Yes. So it was a huge, huge, huge trauma is an understatement. Mm-hmm. And ever since he despised authority and, and the communists were famous for trying to control every part of your life. So that was again, driving factor for him and his brother, my uncle becomes so good. But my uncle is just recently received a presidential medal for lifetime achievement because he was just a great man and completely opposite from my dad, incredible hockey player, far more talented than my dad, but he was just a nice man, you know, a good man. Mm-hmm. He is a nice yeah. man and a great man. My dad was tough and he wouldn't, he, w- he couldn't keep his mouth shut and it got him in trouble. <laughs> but fortunately, he was too good to be denied. So the country mm-hmm. needed him to play hockey mm-hmm. for the national team because at the time, the communists, just like the Soviets, the Czechoslovakian communists used the hockey or hockey teams as a propaganda. You know, yeah. when the hockey team did well, they would say, hey, our hockey team is doing great. Our system is better than yours. You know, our it was crazy. It's, it's crazy stuff, but that's that's what it was. Even though after this 69 uh, thing, when he taped over his the Red Star, he did get in trouble. He got suspended from the national team, but 1972, he scored a game-winning goal for the World Championship in Prague. You know, like, that's and that that was that was part of me. Like you, we were talking, being on the fourth line. Yeah. I'm not a fourth liner. I might be on a fourth line, but I'll prove them that I I should be on the third or second or first line. You know, I'm playing against the best in the world because that's the type of player who I really am. But when I was on the fourth line, I didn't look at it as like, oh, my career going nowhere or because we have a fight in us, and that fight never that that fire never never dies. My goodness, I don't know what else to add to that, Bobby. <laughs> no, it, it's 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 life. That's, that's, again, I, yeah. I learn from it, and again, I, I absorb it, I, I adjust it, and, and and I try to adapt it to, to to my teaching and learn, take the valuable lesson. Of course, I don't want the kids today to go through what my dad did, to for them to be better hockey players or better students. Right. But you can take lessons from it, and the persistence, you know, and all that, and apply it to. Uh, it's getting harder and harder to today's youth, but it, yeah. I believe I, if you work hard enough as a coach or teacher, you can. How I'd be curious as a father, you're now, I mean, your daughter's raised wealthy, so it's so different. How do you pass that family trait and hunger and fight onto somebody who hasn't had that firsthand experience? It's, uh, first of all, you don't just talk about it, you live it. You know, so when I retired from playing, I wasn't just enjoying retirement. I worked, I worked 12, 14 hour days. That was unusual where I went from sunrise to sunset, you know, and it's because I had, I love working. I love, you go back to the fulfillment, to have a purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you ask your children to work hard, but you on social media, following your friends, doing nothing, and you ask them to do, they have a, children or youth has a group. Tremendous sensor, bullshit sensor. Yeah. And if you tell them something and you're not doing it yourself, you might as well not tell them. But when you mm-hmm. up before daylight and you know stay work till dark, and you ask them to work hard, they're like, "Yeah, this is because everybody's doing it. Everybody's working hard." That's yeah. you have to create an environment. You know, not not just a uh, not just a, like a, that. It appears you work hard. You truly have to work hard. And yeah. my wife and I, we work. We always do, which, you know, right now we are in a transition, but 
my wife was amazing throughout my career to, you know, creating a support system that I could focus on my career and accomplish what I accomplished. But when I came home, I had a, we had a great home. And then when I retired from playing, I gave everything I had to them to pursue their dreams. And they were into horses. And, you know, we, our daughter competed on national level and, and she could have been just as well professional doing it, but we said education is more important. So she's, she's working on becoming a doctor. And again, it's, it's, you don't talk about it, you do it. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, uh, that's how, and also another thing is to, I'm a, I'm a first generation immigrant or, or my daughter is a first generation American. Uh, from my side and my wife's family, you know, mom from French Canadian, her grandmother, paternal grandmother came from Italy, literally with the, with the suitcase off the boat, like they used to. And it's just like, no, it's not always, it hasn't always been like this. Yeah. It's like this because not only us, but generation before us work extremely hard to get, to give us or give me opportunity to, to succeed. And that, that's, it's not just our family, it's a society-wide. We don't talk about it because for some reason we are we are ashamed of our past and everything. The, the only thing that's good is the future or young. And I am I have a huge problem with it because there's so many lessons to learn from the from the generations of our of our past. And that's 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 my approach. Yeah. Well it's worked out okay, I'd say. <laughs> Well, Bobby, I think I think I think we've pressed up against the end here. We went three segments when it, wow. normally it's just one, but it was. Uh, I mean, so much good. Uh, you talk about wisdom of your father. There was so much wisdom in that conversation, Bobby, and I appreciate you sharing it with us. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share that because maybe there's going to be a young man who hears that and will help him to to be like, yeah, I need to get my shit together and, and get going <laughs> and find a purpose and you know, fulfilling life. So, and, and, and that young man is Sean. I was going to say, right there's, there. Uh, there, there's, there's definitely someone who's going to listen to this conversation and apply <laughs> the knowledge to their own life. I can you know, guarantee one, you one that. Thing before At I least one person. Go, I know you guys run yeah. tight on time, but when I retired again, I, I finally had time to think or analyze what I've done or what, not necessarily what I've done, but I, how I did it. And mm-hmm. then I realized I have a tremendous responsibility as a, as a man who had a, great family and great mentors and great coaches as a pro, I have a responsibility to, to give that back. Mm-hmm. So if this, if this, someone is going to watch this and listen to this and hear like, wow, you know what? Maybe I should get going or I should be more focused or I should work on my discipline or it, it is somebody during, you know, during my coaching, my high school years or the Israelis. I feel it's not, a, I'm not going, I don't go out of my way. I think it's my responsibility as a man who has had success for the right reasons, which is hard work, sacrifice, discipline, and also be great people in his life. I need to share that with others. And every opportunity I get, I appreciate it. So I thank you for giving me this opportunity and asking the right questions because I think it's important to talk about it and and, mm-hmm. and have follow-up questions. And more young people, more young men see it, the better. Well, thanks, Bobby. It was great, great to see you. Um, you too. I look forward to doing a follow up in sixteen years, and we'll, we'll have <laughs> no, you back you on. <laughs> no, sooner than that. <laughs> All right.
Six all weeks right. then. All right. <laughs> Congratulations on the wedding and all the best to your family. And I hope that goes well and it's everything that, that you all imagine it will be. Thank you very much. You guys have a great holiday season. Yeah, you, you too. too. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Well, Sean, he was as good as advertised. I was nervous a little bit. Like, I'm like, <clears throat> what if we're pumping up Bobby? What if he's, you know, got nothing to say? I was actually... I... He, I was less skeptical than you, I guess. Skeptical is the right word. I was just, you know. No, you're skeptical. No, no, I, don't, I was just nervous, like worried. You should have. Skeptical. Bobby, if you're listening, you should. Bobby, if you're listening, you should have heard oh, the things that Craig true. said about you before that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, I think it's it's fair. It's, I mean, we had, hadn't talked to him in a while, but I think was a blast. you should write a book. Of course like, it was. Just with like 100 proverbs from Bobby Holik or something. Not, not. Get him a good get get him a good editor. I, I think he's I think he's there. I think you. I'd read it. Um, he was awesome. I hope I, I like. I'm I'm gonna have like the kids listen to that. That was great stuff. All right. Um, and it got me motivated. I was up early this morning, ready to work. Yeah, you're you're like a you're like a TED Talk. Oh my gosh, aren't I, you? Need, I need to feel you, myself. You listen to you listen to you listen to you listen to shit like that constantly. So you're 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 ready oh, to you go. You don't like to you don't like to you don't like personal growth in any way. Like you want. I, I'm a big fan of personal growth. I just don't. I just don't look to tech CEOs to to deliver lessons on it to me. Okay, did you hear that, Adam? <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> uh, we have time I, I, for maybe two or three questions. This is already running super long. We're down to like we're do we're doing this we're doing this because it's the it's the right. We thing don't to want do. the yeah. We can't we, just, we can't we, we can't, can't skip, skip this. this. So we're gonna go into the comment section. Um, because I, this is my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite part of the podcast. I'm going to be off for a couple of weeks. So uh, we got Jeremy Rutherford coming in next week and it'll be great. But yeah, I wanted to get a couple of these in. Can I just, I'll start because Jimmy L has a great idea. If Twitter does fall, which it will, does the comment section of the Tuesday show become the new home for hockey Twitter? <gasps> I'll tell you what's not, that's a great idea. Cause you know, it isn't going to be Mastodon. <laughs> Oh boy! Oh boy! Do you have a- I think I think tw- I think I think Twitter's coming out of this. By the way, I I think I think it's staying in one piece generally. Okay, I I have no thoughts on that. So, but everyone, you sign but, up for Sean's Substack but if it does. <laughs> <laughs> I dude, I Did set you? up a Substack. I set mm. I set up my little Linktree page with with all my with all my various things on it because I I was I was spooked, but I'm not anymore. Adam P. Yes or yes. Jesper Brad is the best player in the NHL. Hashtag JBITBPITNHL. Shout out to the Brad Pack. Shout out to Devils fans who are really, really fun. There's, there is, they're a, they're an awesome group on, on, on Twitter these days. Yes, of course he is. Jesper Brad is the best player in the NHL. We've established that. That's, that's what the last 25 games have been about. Him taking the throne. Alana O says, we're going to go back to Twitter. With Twitter in a death spiral, I'd love to hear about some of your favorite hockey <laughs> Twitter moments. This, I oh, almost want to like think about this and come back to it because like, was it last year someone did like a hockey Twitter moment bracket for March Madness? It yes. just reminded me of like, <laughs> yeah. who was it that like went after TSN? Like there was supposed to be a DM. That might be my, like, it was, uh, or one of the, like that Tiprios. was funny. Yep. Uh, there's so many, like the, the trade, the trade is one. The trade is trade one, for is one, one for was, one was was unbelievable. Anything that happened during the, the lockout was gold. I think my the podium stuff uh, as 
we know the that we know the true identity of the NHL of the at NHL podium account. You do? Let's just say he's a let's just say he's a coworker. Yes. Really? Is it you? <laughs> yeah. It's not me. I don't think you have to go that far to, to to figure out who it is. But I'll say that much. Maybe just a couple days into the future. Oh, wow. If you know I what know. I mean. The funniest, the funniest Twitter thing of all, I'm pretty sure was the for me was the was when the mediator got involved with the yeah. with the lockout, and the guy had this like impenetrable Twitter account that was just basically jokes about. Jokes from repurposed jokes from the Craig Ferguson show <laughs> and a bunch right. of other stuff. And everything was out, <clears throat> everything was out of context and weird. And he ended up getting taken off the case. Um, and I tried to call this man's house and was told in no uncertain terms by his wife not to call back ever again. Like I found, I found this guy cause he lives in Pennsylvania and I just wanted to be like, Hey, what, what do you, what do you, do you want to say anything about that? It kind of sucks that, you know, ass mode jokes from the late, late show got, Got you taken off the job, and his wife told me to get lost. I can't believe that. I thought he'd want to talk was, about that. That was one of that was one of my favorites. No, you would think so. I think Twitter in that era was the best. Um, it was. Let's see. Someone wants to know where Sean's. Oh, the other, the other, the other really funny yeah, moment. That's not fine. To, not to keep not the to segment that we're this. supposed to keep for five minutes. Tight. Go ahead. I mean, what am I? What am I supposed to do? When the when the Bruins had the three first round draft picks and. Reese Jessup on Twitter was like, oh shit, they could get Shillington, Matt Barzell, and Kyle Connor here. And they went and drafted, you know, Jake DeBrusque and Jakob Zaborl and Zach Sedation or whoever, whoever it was. That was very funny too. But it doesn't matter. Twitter's not going anywhere. Um, it's not. Someone wants to, uh, Jesse, someone, Jesse W is specifically wants to know what do we have to do to get Sean, Craig, and Max on the same episode? A live recording at t- Tipsy McStaggers? Yes. Just come out come out to the D. Come on That's up. me. Sean? Uh, yeah, fine. Okay. Stay with me. Just invite me, maybe. Okay. Come on up. We, we'd end up not doing a lot. We'd end up probably going on Zoom in the same room or something weird because it's probably better for us. <laughs> That's not true. Um, do you have any more? Somebody wants Tuesday Boy Slippers by American Christmas. Good question, Tyler M. Completely. We could probably give it to you by... Canadian Christmas. Zane wants Sean to have a Wikipedia page. I think Zane, that's probably on you to set up. I work. I when I interned at the Washington Post when I was in college, and a, and a dude who I worked who I worked with, like just a random guy, had his own Wikipedia page there. And it was because he one hundred percent set it up himself. And I periodically used to check to see if it was still up, and someone took it down. It, it's been taken down. Because this guy, he was just like a random, he was a random dude who worked at the Washington Post website. That wasn't enough to get a Wikipedia. So I feel like yeah, I'm at should, the point now. Um, I've got one, Sean. In case you're wondering. Yeah, did that? That's the that's the book deal. Then did they set no, did they set that up for you? Book de- Some I have no idea who did it. It's I like it. It was updated after the book, but some random person. You know, you kindly set yeah, that up for some, me. Some random fan you you know that you can get back like i, I can probably look, look into the ip or whatever you want to do if you don't believe me clinton heights michigan mm. why can't why, why can't puck soup be as good as the tuesday shows are hayden I don't, it is as good i wonder the same it can be and it is all the time <laughs> all the time oh 
So Emily has a request but, to get Gary Bettman on the show. Mm. This is like says producer Jeff. So calling producer Jeff out by name uh-huh. to get Gary Bettman on the show. Um, so we can propose our U.S. Canada World Cup idea right to the boss, <laughs> the NHL. <laughs> Emily Ellis says she's a lifetime member of Team Chaos. Team Chaos. I am also on the roster, and I think that would be great. Yeah, we should. Jeff should get Batman on because Bill Daly is just kind of like a co-host of the Wednesday Show at this point. I is think. He? So we can. Bill's been on a few times. He's on a lot. He's yeah. He he answers he answers Russo's calls. Um. So we gotta just one up and get Batman on there. That'd be great. Can you imagine? Like, maybe that's maybe that's what I can do next time I'm I'm somewhere where Gary has one of his like random you know. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. In Gary's in Winnipeg. Do you have any for, questions for, for the day? Yeah. Yeah. Like pass it to Marat or or whoever's on site. Like, hey, can you ask? Uh, can you ask him what he would think if. For a U.S. Canada tournament, wherever it's uh, men's senior teams, under twenty-five teams, women's teams, and then U18s, please. Did you ever end up writing that story? Please, you probably didn't. You got distracted by the holiday. We can stash. We can. St- we can stash that one. That was not. That was not going. You get nothing at time. We need to get it. We need to get far enough out of the initial conversation where it's li- where it's like less obvious that it was just, you know. A random, a random bit that we also on the podcast. It'll seem a lot smarter because, as we know, you like to double dip. If we get Gary on the show, <laughs> you can ask him about it, put it into your lead, and then flush it out from there. Yeah, without it, without any indication that it came on the podcast, mm-hmm. just making him like I specifically. It'd be good if you just myself. said, you know, like because I'll ask the question, and then you can name me in the piece if you'd like. <laughs> you will ask the question. Okay, okay, boss. <laughs> Uh, that's it. Thanks to everybody who, um, I, I the 20 plus of you who found the comment section on the, on the one Amazing. episode that I've been on, uh, keep them coming, leave lots on this one so that when I'm back, we can go back and, uh, and go, I'll have at least one in December. We should do a year end special, Sean, like an extravaganza. When did we do, that was at the end of the season when we did the awards for, <laughs> That was great. <laughs> we can't. We gotta wait. We gotta wait until June for that one. We can't. We can't scrape this together at the end of the at the end of the calendar year. We can fi- We can figure something can. out though. Rob Pizzo, Mike Russo, and Jesse Granger have Bernie Nichols on the roundtable this week. Ryan Reeves hmm. is Mike Russo's guest on Straight from the Source. What do you got going on th- Friday? Anything you want to plug for Friday? Power rings on Friday. Um... Nothing. I'm just. I'm in the. I'm in the NHL 99 yeah. mode right now. Don't forget to subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on YouTube. That's <laughs> what. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, the podcast I do with Harris. Yeah, I mean that's what which, I was which, thinking. Which but if you want to talk about your own Friday morning, yeah, my work. bad. Like, I was. It was a weird. That was a weird setup. That's my, not my fault. Do you have it? I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, podcasts. that's right. It's your I'm fault. You're plugging the podcast, <laughs> and I said to you, which anything you want to highlight about your Friday's show? Uh. If you want to subscribe to the Athletic Hockey Show on YouTube, go to youtube.com slash, as we know, there's an at sign in there, at the Athletic Hockey Show. And make sure... At sign, the Athletic Hockey Show. You leave a review that mentions Sean specifically on Apple mm-hmm. or wherever you're listening to this. It really helps us. In the- oh, man. By the way, I checked I checked up on those after you said that last time, and they're they're getting some people oh, hate Oh, I was... Hey... I didn't. I forgot. I sorry, forgot I that this was not. I didn't mean for it to become a negative thing. Leave a five okay. star review you, you know, and compliment Sean. No, if you like Sean, there's haters out there that don't. 
It was just me before <laughs> Thanksgiving opening. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Cut the shit. It was it was you. I traced the IP again. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts this week. It's Sean and I bringing you all kinds of hockey talk goodness to get all the bonus content from our entire network. Start with a 30-day free trial, then it's 99 cents a month. After that, we got Jeremy Rutherford co-hosting next week. We got Max Baltman the week after that. Um, and you the week after that? I don't know. Please? We got Chris Tarian as a guest. I think, I think I'm, I'm, I'll be back for that. Any final thoughts? Good. Well, let me thank Bobby Holik one last time for joining. Bobby, thank you for doing this. Incredible performance, great wisdom, great questions from Sean. Thanks to, to producer Jeff for setting that up, as always. Enjoy the next couple of weeks, Shawnee. And thank you, dear listener. Yeah, well, it'll be, it'll be nice. Oh, yeah. Thanks, listener. Have a great week. <laughs> <laughs>